Looking back at some of the other honors, there's the We Met Caddy Scholarship Fund. You must be very proud of that. I'm very proud of that. Uh, that Caddy Fund was organized in 1949, and uh, it has been a source of great satisfaction to me. There's no story that could ever be told that is richer or sweeter than the story of Francis and Eddie. And may your lives Philip and Eagles. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Legacy, the We Met Fun podcast. On today's episode, we welcome on Maddie Belden, a We Met alumna who graduated from Holy Cross in 2020. Maddie is currently a PGA professional working at Salem Country Club in Massachusetts. She has been around the golf business her entire life as her dad, Alan Belden, was the head golf professional at Worcester Country Club for 20 years. Maddie grew up working for her dad from a young age, whether it be in the bag room, the cart barn, or helping her mom, Carrie, who was the pro shop manager. She then went on to Holy Cross, where she was a four-year member of the golf team and spent two of those years as captain, working to be a leader and a mentor for her teammates. During college, she interned with the New England PGA, running junior golf tournaments in the region and broadening her experience in many facets of golf administration. When she graduated, she took a job as an assistant professional at Braeburn Country Club, and in January 2022, she was elected Class A PGA membership, one of two females in New England to do so. And in January 2022, she was elected Class A PJ membership as one of two females in New England to do so. Maddie currently serves on various boards and committees, including the National PGA Employment Committee and is secretary of the Massachusetts chapter. She's determined to make golf more accessible and fun for women and girls and has dedicated much of her career focus thus far on engaging with new golfers, both in her work at Salem and also with her online presence, trying to make the entrance into the game less intimidating. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Maddie about her life in and around golf, as well as the current state of the game and how PJ professionals can work to reach a new audience. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Maddie. When did you start going back to Salem? Is it full time already? An hour ago. Was <laughs> <laughs> Is today like the first, first day? First time. Yeah, yeah. Since Christmas, I haven't been here. So you've had a kind of a busy off season. You're at the golf show in January, and then were you in Chicago for was it like a PGA committee or core committee meeting last week or two a couple weeks ago? Yeah, I was in Chicago last week. I got back last Wednesday. I'm on the employment committee for National, and so. All the core committees met in Chicago last week. How long was that? 24 hours. Oh, and wow. then I got to go see my brother for another day after that. He goes to school in Chicago. Oh, so were you there for St. Patrick's Day? Not for St. Patrick's oh, Day, okay. I wish. <laughs> but I did see the river was green, so I yeah. got to see that, which was yeah. cool. Oh, that's awesome. Maddie, thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Obviously, as we've said, we know this is a very busy time for all golf professionals at courses and clubs opening up for the 2023 season here in Massachusetts. I know Colin and I and, and everyone in the WeMet community is really excited for golf season to come around. And I'm sure that you and your team at Salem Country Club are really busy getting ready for opening day. So thank you for taking the time. We have a lot we kind of want to dive into today. But I think first we want to start where we like to start with many of our guests. And obviously your family story and your lifestyle seem to be sort of intrinsically connected to the game of golf. But we're wondering, if you could take us back, what are your first memories of the game? When do you first remember being introduced to the game of golf? I'm not sure how old I was because I kind of was at Worcester Country Club since birth, basically. <laughs> My dad became the head pro in 2000, but he was an assistant there. I believe he started the summer before I was born in 97. I don't remember, honestly, the game, but I remember being brought into the business at a young age. I remember sitting on the floor at like Christmas time. And my mom gave me a sheet of paper and was like, hey, count these balls for inventory. <laughs> so I would be like Pro V1 and I would do tally marks. Oh, you got put to work at a young age. Yeah. I don't know if they actually use the counts <laughs> that I, I came up with, but I remember doing that five years old. 
So yeah, I was brought into the business at a very young age. Imagine standing on a stool or let me use the computer, right? Oh, yeah. My dad likes to joke. They taught me the member charge button at like two years old. And I would just sit there and hit member charge. And my dad's like, yep, get the sales. (laughs) That's awesome. I remember the business. I remember also having a club in my hand at a really young age. I would take lessons and clinics and stuff from my dad's assistants who worked at Worcester. I was there all the time. You know, in your mind, you're playing or helping or feeling like you're helping. Yeah. Long hours. I mean, I think... For anyone that knows the golf industry during the summertime, not, you know, as we're about to ramp up for the spring, your dad, your mom working in the shop, how did watching or experiencing or being part of those days, how did that impact your work ethic at a young age? I'm wondering. I think it made working in the golf business a little less shocking because, like you said, it is really long hours and weird hours too. Like it's not a nine to five. And you got to work weekends and holidays. And I saw my dad and my mom because my mom was the shop manager. So I saw them have these crazy schedules, but also be like, I don't want to say workaholics, but they did a really good job at it. I feel like it percolated into my life. And I don't really know anything else. One summer I worked in an office. I think it was after my sophomore year of college. And I was like, Nope, not for me. Like, I want to be outside. I want to be in a golf shop, running tournaments and stuff. I don't want to just sit at a desk all day. It just wasn't in my blood to do that. Be around that activity, which I remember from having worked at a club growing up. And it's something we'll talk about later on. But I think that a lot of the culture around golf, being a golf professional, is starting to shift a little bit. There's a little more focus coming to the amount of hours and work and pressure there are on golf professionals, again, which we'll chat about in a little bit. But I am curious with your mom and your dad working at Worcester Country Club growing up, like you said, you grew up there. You lived there almost. Do you think that you loved the game as long as you could remember going back? Did you love playing as much as love being around the culture of it? Or did that come later? That came later. I mean, I grew up playing in like any PGA junior events and I played in high school. But honestly, I didn't really love playing the game until after college, which is kind of crazy because that was like three years ago. I liked it. I didn't even think I was going to play in college. I just liked being in that community of golf, I guess. My dad always had really good staff. Like, they were just fun people to be around. I feel like people who play golf, you never know who you're going to meet. So I feel like it was more that than the actual game. And I love the game more now, I think, than when I was younger. Gotcha. So if I can ask any reason you think why you might have said, you know, this isn't the path I'm going to go in. I've had some other discussions with you in the past, but not to give you an answer. But I mean, do you think, was it because it was male dominated? I know you didn't have other girls on the golf team. Yeah, I was the only, usually the only girl on the golf team in high school. And I met one other girl playing when we played against some team in Rhode Island and she works for golf.com now, Claire Rogers. There were no other girls. And so Honestly, and I didn't really know anybody that played in college either. So it just never was at the forefront of my mind. But when I got into Holy Cross academically, I was like, oh, I know the coach. Like, I might as well reach out. And it just happened to work out, which, as you'll see, is kind of how, like, the rest of my career has gone. Like, I've never really planned to do this. It just keeps snowballing into this crazy kind of meant-to-be thing. And you've developed an extremely impressive career in the golf industry in just a few short years, which we'll get to. But going back to when you started working at Worcester Country Club, 
You had sort of a unique situation where your dad was a head pro, your mom had worked there, you grew up around there. So maybe your experience was a little different from other new employees, but what age did you become an official employee at Worcester Country Club? What do you remember first doing? Were you a caddy? Were you working in the bag room, pro shop? Were you the only female on staff at that point? I think I probably shouldn't say I was like 14 or 15 because I think you had to be 16, but we get it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. it was like, it was whenever you could drive a car. So about 15, I worked in the bag room, the cart barn. I have caddied for my dad in like professional events. So I mainly worked in the bag room, cart barn, and I would work in the shop every now and again. But yeah, I did that for probably five or six years, I would say. And I don't think I was the only girl. It definitely was majority boys, but there were a couple other girls, which was always nice. Any other members at the club that kind of stand out as those are some of my favorites or relationships, maybe even mentors that have lasted from the Worcester Country Club membership? So the one person that I did caddy for was Tom Bartholomew. And I caddied for him in, I don't know if it was the qualifier or something for the men's club championship. I lost his head cover. I lost his rangefinder, Perfect. And he still ate lunch with me afterwards. <laughs> So I'll always remember how nice he was. And he was always nice to me throughout my entire life being there. But I'll never forget that because it was the one time I caddied. And I was like mortified. I was like, I'm never doing this ever again. But he's like, let's have lunch. That's beautiful. That's the exact type of person you want to caddy for. I remember having those feelings too. It's dreadful when you lose something on the course. It's the worst feeling in the world. But going back to that, there were, at least as far as the We Met community goes, Worcester Country Club is extraordinarily invested in the We Met Fund. We know of so many members there, including not just the professional staff there, but also the membership there. They love the We Met Fund. They're really proud of the We Met Fund. So now you've been a four-year We Met scholar. You're an alumna from Holy Cross. You've excelled as a member of the We Met community. But if you could take us back in time to a little bit maybe before you even applied for the scholarship, how do you remember learning about We Met? Was it through members at the club? Was it through your dad? What were your first experiences with We Met leading up to that application? I remember from a very young age, always seeing the poster that was hung in the shop of all of the We Met scholars at the time. And I didn't really know what it was at first, but I saw that every year and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I don't know what it is. And then as I got closer to the end of high school, I remember Jack McDaniel. I don't know if you know him. He's a big We Met guy. Absolutely. And he was always super welcoming and stuff and was super enthusiastic about it. I mean, I literally called him Uncle Jack. (laughs) Everybody calls him Uncle Jack. We call him Uncle Jack, actually. (laughs) Yeah. I think everybody calls him Uncle Jack. I think that's just his name. Yeah. He was never Mr. McDaniel. He was Uncle Jack. So he was a big proponent for it. So yeah, I think between him and my dad and just growing up seeing the poster, I always knew about it. And I was lucky enough to have people explain it to me and how important and stuff it is to everybody in the community. So I always knew about it pretty much. You said earlier that golf wasn't sort of in the plans for Holy Cross. How did you come to go to Holy Cross? Like what drew you there? Was scholarship, perhaps the WeMet scholarship, was that part of the equation of how you said, this is the school that I want to go to? From probably the beginning of high school, I always told my parents I was not going to school in Massachusetts. I made my parents, my poor parents, drive me to Canada to look at McGill. We went to D.C. to look at Georgetown and American and GW. And I ended up in Worcester, 10 minutes from home. And you ended up a few miles away. (laughs) Yeah. My dad always jokes. I said, well, Dad, if I go to school in D.C., I'll be across from the embassies. If I go to school in Worcester, I'll have a view of Rotman's because that's right across the street from Holy Cross. And that's where I ended up. But yeah, I think in probably October... 
of my senior year, I decided I was going to apply early decision to Holy Cross. Mainly just I had grown up going to Holy Cross for camps and stuff. I had some connections. I was close with one of the coaches that was there. He had an influence on me going. So I think other things in my life, it was just meant to be. I said, I'm going to apply early decision. And if I get in, you have to go. So I got in. I decided to go. I applied for We Met, got the scholarship. I reached out to Tim Bebo, who was my golf coach there. And I was like, any spots on the golf team? And he said, yes. And it just snowballed from there. Well, I think you must be being modest in a few ways. One, congrats. Getting an early decision to Holy Cross, pretty difficult to do. So that's pretty impressive. But no matter the level, I mean, especially at Holy Cross, D1 golf, that's still pretty impressive to be able to play. So you must have been a very good player. What do you remember about playing junior events growing up in your middle to late teens? You must have been a fairly good player. I wasn't great, to be honest. So Holy Cross is Patriot League. They've gotten much better since I've left. (laughs) We didn't get scholarships for golf. We couldn't bring in a big group of awesome players, which is unfortunate, but they're awesome people. Like I'm still friends with everybody pretty much I was on the team with. When I was a kid, I would play New England junior tour events. And the main thing I remember is really the only girl for nine holes. I might have shot 50, but I would win because I was the only girl in the division. It was crazy. So that probably played into me not really wanting to play in college because I never really got that competitive, I guess, experience. But yeah, I remember also being in high school, being one of the only girls, and it was a good driver to want to be better, go home and be like, oh, I beat the boys today. That was motivation to try and play better. I capped out with sports in high school. I didn't play any college sports, but I am very aware that not always the best player on the team is elected captain. You know, you might be downplaying your skills, but I mean, in terms of the leadership, I mean, you're the captain of a college golf team and... What were some of the lessons you learned as a captain there that maybe are influencing you today in terms of leadership and working as a team at Salem Country Club or within the PGA of America committees that you work with? So I was co-captain with Jackie Gonzalez for two years. She's big and player in mass. And we actually lived together after college. So she was my roommate for a little bit. But she was a little bit on the quieter side and I was a little bit more aggressive. So we definitely like balance each other out. I learned what not to do as a leader for sure. You're young. Like I was 21, 22 when I was a captain and I had no experience really leading people in any way. So I definitely made some stupid comments or decisions, but I learned definitely how to take everybody into account. It's not just me. It's not just what I want and how to listen better, I guess. At the beginning, I wasn't very good at that, I'll admit. But I learned it's important to listen to everybody, no matter they're a freshman, sophomore, junior, you're the director of golf, or you're a a cart barn kid. Everybody needs to be listened to, for sure. That's well said. And a lot of people in our community, they actually are either have or are currently or thinking about playing golf in college. And everyone has a different experience. But looking back on it now, it's a difficult lifestyle. You have to maintain practice. You have to maintain workouts. You have to play well in these tournaments and also achieve in school. How did you strike that balance between school and play on the course? And looking back on it, what might be some things that you would show as lessons for those who are thinking about playing golf in college now? Yeah, you definitely have to be really good at time management and organization, which everybody makes fun of me and my dad because we're like organization freaks. So that definitely played into my strengths. But 
Holy Cross didn't have, I mean, it was D1, but we didn't have tutors. We didn't have special classes that we took. We did enrollment just like everybody else. I remember sitting in the weight room, 6 a.m., waiting to go into lift and also sitting on the floor on my computer doing enrollment. There was no special treatment for athletes, or at least not the golf team at Holy Cross. So being able to stay level-headed and manage a hundred different things at once was important, which also plays into my job now because it can definitely get hectic. So yeah, time management and organization are like the top two things because you can't get too behind on the golf and practice, but you also can't get behind on your schoolwork because at a school like that, professors, they don't care. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They think it's cool, but they're like, all right, but you still have a test on Friday that you need to take. And I don't care if you have golf, you got to go take it or you got to do the essay or whatever. So people listen and they're saying, okay, she went to Holy Cross, but now she's a PGA professional. This isn't a PGM program. You weren't studying to do that. I'm not a PGA professional, but for those out there that are wondering, like, what are the different paths that someone could take to become a PGA professional? I guess, suppose one path is a PGM program, like a Penn State or Methodist. But what about you? Like, how did you then graduate and say, okay, this is what I'm doing? Like everything else in my life, I didn't know that I was going to do this until last minute. So when I graduated, I graduated with a degree in international relations. I studied politics and economics and French, like I was fluent in French. It has nothing to do with my job now. As soon as I graduated, I started working at Braeburn. And a lot of clubs, they'll pay for your education if you didn't do it in a PGM program like Coastal Carolina or whatever. So it's the PGA Associate Program. You basically do all the schooling and education on the side of a job. So you might do a seminar. I did all of mine virtually. I got lucky because it was COVID times. COVID, right. Yeah. So I blew through it pretty quick because I was able to do it through Zoom. But nowadays, people are going to the new PGA home site in Frisco. You do five days of school, basically. You can pick between three different paths. So you can do executive management if you want to be like a GM or something. You can do golf operations or you can do teaching and coaching. I did golf ops just because it fit into being an assistant or a head pro maybe one day. And there's three different levels. You do the schoolwork, you take the tests, and you have to take a playing test also. That's probably the hardest part for most people. And then, yeah, once you pass all three levels in the playing test, you get your class A. How does the scoring work on the playing test? That's always the one I'm curious about. Does it vary from course to course or is there one set score across the country? I would have to look it up to see the exact formula, but it has to do with the slope and rating. So whatever course you're at, I played different tees than the men did at the test. So I had a different score goal, but they'll tell you, which is the craziest part of the test is that they literally tell you before you tee off, you have to shoot whatever, 158 in 36 holes. And it's like, so stressful. (laughs) Yeah, like that never happens in any other instance that I can think of. You just go and you play and you shoot what you shoot. And that's fine. I remember standing on the 36th hole of my PAT and the girl I was playing with, she goes, all right, you just need to make double the pass. And I was like, Oh my God. (laughs) So I was freaking out and I made par. So I passed by two, but I was like, that could have gone so poorly. Like if I'd made it triple and didn't pass by one, I would have been so mad. <laughs> you don't even want the word double spoken out there. No, no. She's like, yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs> I was like, thanks. <laughs> I would have gone OB off the tee immediately. But obviously you passed that. And in 2022, you were 
one of two females in New England to become a Class A PGA member. Now, as we had mentioned, you're the secretary of the Massachusetts PGA chapter. You're on the national committee of the PGA. So kudos to you. That's awesome. Going back to that earlier number, you being one of two females to gain Class A PGA membership in New England. How do you envision that number going to three, five, 10 female PGA members in the coming years? What are some of the things that you and your fellow PGA members are discussing on these various committees and boards to try to expand the profession to more women, have them consider this career path? It's definitely a conversation in all of the committees and boards that I'm on, especially national. The Employment Committee, we're working really hard to just get numbers up, period. And obviously, diversity and equity inclusion is working on getting females and people from different backgrounds in. One of the big things that the PGA does is a program called PGA Lead. And I believe it's 15 people every two years are selected and they come from diverse backgrounds. There's a lot of females and they kind of fast track you through getting on committees and learning how all that stuff works. When I was at the core committee meetings in Chicago, they had all the PGA Lead people stand up and it was a good chunk of people in the room and a lot of them were females. So That's one thing that National is doing. But I think a big thing for getting females in the business is how business is changing and the industry is changing right now. It's like work-life balance and, I guess, salaries are going up. So as a female, it's always in the back of my mind. I'm only 25. But if I want to get married and have kids in the next, I don't know, five to seven years, being a head pro is really difficult. And you can't really take care of kids. If my husband is also working a full-time job and I've got to be here on holidays and weekends, having kids is not really conducive. So the way that work-life balance is becoming more of a thing in the golf industry definitely makes it easier for women to see it as a feasible job, I guess. And salaries are going up too, which always helps. So so Maddie, what are some of the things that you see as already you're seeing some progress there in terms of PGA lead and the chapter or the New England region of the NEPGA, how could the next class maybe have three females come in and then the class after that maybe have five females joining the ranks? It all comes down to recruiting and obviously the PGA recruits on a big scale. They put out commercials and social media PSAs and all this stuff, I think it's more going to be grassroots effort. So I had a conversation with a girl maybe a couple months ago that was considering getting into the business. And she's like, I don't know if it's for me. Like, I like to play as an amateur. And and I explained to her, yeah, that's awesome. If you play as an amateur, you can play for money as a pro. You get to go on all these trips. You get free gear. She's like, oh, really? She had no idea. So I think she was two years younger than me. Coming from me, a young female, she sees that it is a cool job and it can be feasible. I think there's 40-ish females in the New England section. We all need to reach out and make ourselves accessible to females that are considering. So colleges, high schools, going in to talk to them and explaining like how cool of a job it really can be because they just don't know, really. That's really well said. And to your credit, you are not just talking the talk, but you're also walking the walk. One thing you've been on the forefront of that we've seen certainly here in Massachusetts is doing your part to reach those audiences where they are. For example, you're definitely using new media, if you will, be it through podcasts, Instagram, you have a TikTok channel, your YouTube channel, shout out the Golf 101 videos, and the list goes on and on. In the coming years, how do you see those kind of efforts helping to expand the game and even make it less intimidating for beginning golfers or female golfers who want to learn more about the game, but might not actually know how. 
I'm trying to like spread myself out on all the social media channels just to get as many people as I can. I don't know if you're on TikTok at all, but there's a movement. They call it the golf girl era. People are in all these different eras. If you're not on TikTok, you're probably like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> but there's a lot of girls that do already play golf. One of the girls I had on my podcast, her name's Haley Bookolt. I love her. She posts what she wears, what different clubs do, what etiquette is, and all this different stuff. And so it reaches probably millions of people, I would say, every day. And if you can get five or 10 girls interested in golf, that's awesome. And they feel more comfortable because they have people like Haley or myself, they can DM on Instagram and be like, hey, like, is this skirt okay to wear? Or what do you do in this situation? And it's just such a wide array of people that you can access through social media. I could talk to someone in California and help them out. Right. And those things matter for those who say didn't grow up surrounded by golf for 25 years and they're maybe just interested in the game. It's very popular right now. And so having channels like yours to reach out to, it's important. So credit to you for that. I mean, I'm just listening to these answers might have been a little different, Maddie, say six, seven, eight years ago when you talk about golf or the golf industry and you started out working at Worcester Country Club. Then you go and work at Brayburn. Now you're at Salem. It's full circle where you're able to share both the struggles and maybe the things that you might have had some trepidation in terms of why to join the golf industry. And now you're turning them into, you've seen other successes that people across the country have had in terms of bringing more people into the game. And now you're an advocate. Now you're recruiting and you're so passionate about it. That's just something that I guess, to me, you've grown. Is that something you've seen in yourself and the industry as a whole? Yeah. I mean, especially from the time that I graduated. So almost three years ago, I was just like, yeah, this is comfortable. This industry is comfortable to me and it's familiar and I'll do it. Didn't really have any plans to have this hoorah movement. I just saw a need for more females in the industry and more females in the game. It was never really accessible. Your husband or father didn't play the game. Like you probably weren't going to get into it. So being that figure for some people to grab them and pull them into either the game or the business is pretty cool. That's great. Well, I'm glad you're also back at a club that has another long list of faces hanging on the wall as we met scholars. So I know that you're also pushing the young men and women that work at Salem that are in high school or college to apply we met. Hopefully we can help them with their goals because it might not be golf, but it might be. Yeah, you never know. We were talking about new media, and I'm curious. I know Colin's curious as well. Talk to us about this Golf Live app. It seems really cool. I know you work with it. I know your dad seems to work with it as well. For those listening, what is that app? How can the average golfer use it, perhaps of any level? What are the benefits of using that app? It is a live virtual golf lesson app. So if you're my student, you can go on and search Maddie Belden and schedule a lesson with me. So it's kind of like a FaceTime and the thing that is the coolest thing, and he has a patent on this or a patent pending, I, as the coach, can record your swing through the app with your camera. So it's like a FaceTime, but I can pretend like I'm there and I can record your swing. Then I can pull up that video of your swing. I can draw lines on it and we're talking while this is going on. So I'm saying, hey, look at this angle right here and I can draw a line and it'll appear on your screen in live real time. But it's also kind of like an Uber for golf lessons. So if you don't actually have a coach, you can go on and you can request a lesson immediately. So you can click, I want to take a lesson right now. And whoever is on the app will pick up your lesson and 
you might be in mass and he's in New Mexico or something and he's giving you a golf lesson over the phone. It's cool for coaches if we got snowbirds and they still want to keep in touch with us while they're in Florida for the winter. But it's also cool for people that don't know where to start. They can just go on and get a lesson from a certified PGA professional. Very cool. So I'm sure that's part of your plan for 2023, You know, whether it's in-person lessons at Salem or Golf Live. Maddie, if I could just ask you one Maddie Belden PGA personal goal for 2023 and maybe one goal for what you're doing with the NEPGA. Personally, I want to give more lessons. I always want to give more lessons. <laughs> I'm working on getting specialized, PGA specialized in teaching and coaching. So that'll help my lesson business as well. So I want to complete that this year because I started last year and got a little sidetracked. For the NEPGA, So we have our section championship in September, and there's a separate women's championship as well, but it's played at the same courses. And I played in it last year. We had five people, five women in it. So I want to get that to at least eight because five is pitiful. And there's 40 of us, so we can get up to eight or 10. I not only want to get more women in the business, but I want the women that are in the business right now to get more involved. That's cool. Well said. Looking back on it, you were three years old doing inventory at Worcester Country Club. Now you're at Salem Country Club. And still to this day, 20 odd years later, you're working with your dad hand in hand. And it's kind of a unique thing. I'll never be able to work in the same industry as my dad. We're just two very separate industries. It's unique and pretty cool. Does it feel like everything has come full circle for you where you now work at the same club with your dad and you are PGA professional? Yeah, it's crazy. And I never thought that this would happen if you told me in high school that I'd be a golf pro working with my dad. I'd be like, yeah, okay, it's not going to happen. But it's super cool. And so he's a director of instruction here and he's not really in the shop much, but we do get to give clinics together. And if I want, I can go out and observe one of his lessons. He's an awesome teacher. So just listening to him, really useful to me in my teaching career. But yeah, it's really crazy. And actually, We got a new GM here. He used to work at Worcester. And then we have another assistant coming in in a couple weeks who used to work for my dad at Worcester. So it's bizarre almost. But yeah, it's awesome. Very cool. Good luck in the 2023 season. We are very grateful for the support of Salem Country Club at the We Met Fund. And we wish you nothing but the best. I'm sure we'll be seeing you popping up at every level from the PGA level, but also at Salem Country Club and maybe at some We Met events as well. But thank you for taking the time. It's great to talk to you. Keep up the good work. It's really impressive. Thanks, Maddie. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. Thank you for having me. 